Welcome back to Bridge the Gap. It's been a hot minute since I've actually said that. Um, but we have with us the interesting uh, MC Till. I say interesting because he does a whole bunch of stuff, which um, makes a person interesting to me. Like he has, he's an author, he's an artist, beat maker, reviewer. I mean, the level of knowledge I've seen this guy display in terms of his understanding of hip-hop etc is pretty high in the list of things so he's overall a pretty schooled individual plus he comes from a whole part of town that you know if you're from montreal sounds like the middle of nowhere but possibly isn't being cincinnati and all of that part of the world which feels like it's the middle of nowhere but i'm sure it's a valid ass city i'm not gonna lie <laughs> but like um, so with that, it's it's a whole different experience. So like the shows bridge the gap because we like to bridge the gap between different places and peoples and share the experiences and try to learn as many knowledge nuggets from your journey as we possibly can. So with that, um, I don't know if I like missed anything, but can you just take a quick second to introduce yourself a little bit? And then most importantly, tell us where you started your life, because that's going to be relevant to how we start this off, like the earliest parts of where you start your life. <laughs> yes, excellent. Well, thank you. Uh, I really appreciate that wonderful intro. Uh, you, you took care of a lot of, a lot of the, my story already. I, I'm from Evansville, Indiana. Originally, I'm in Cincinnati. Cincinnati is my new home now. I've been here like 20 years and really got into hip hop at a very, very young age. Um, watching my brother, my brother was rapping with his friends and stuff and like he's older than me. So I wanted to be like big brother. And that was very, that was like mid eighties. Um, and yeah, just got into it and it just stuck. Like I was mesmerized got, by the music into it and all that. Little, yeah. A little bit more details. So like to get the ball rolling properly, we have our typical opening question. We like to ask everybody. Um, and so what really matters is that you're in a place near Cincinnati that probably most people might not be that familiar with. But you're in that Cincinnati looks like it's next to seven states or something. So it looks like it's real central when I looked at it on Google Maps. <laughs> yeah. But, oh, no, yeah, no doubt. It's it's right by Kentucky and Indiana and Ohio. Like we're all right there together. Wow. Yeah. So like um, anyway, the opening question is a bit of a story. And uh, when it lands, you can kind of go with it at that point. And it all starts off with my girlfriend, and she's washing the dishes one time, and she's got her phone out, and she's playing the Black Eyed Peas, and she's got that that song, I Got a Feeling, that I Got a Feeling. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's vibing, she's dancing, she's having this moment. And I look at her and go, when in the fuck did this song become chores music? Because if you think about this track and run it back to like 2010, it really is this middle of the night anthem where everybody's mm. celebrating, having this wonderful time. Even the kids were celebrating in this song. It was a global phenomenon. All this time passes. The song doesn't change at all because it's a song. But we recontextualize our relationship is with the song as we get older, that it goes from being, you know, celebration times to when we're doing some boring stuff like working out or chores or whatever else. And we right. try to celebrate in our minds again. And it was just this big phenomenon for me. I was like, man, this whole journey that everybody goes on with the music and like. I'm thinking about the 20-year-olds with the drills and the getting sturdies and whatnot. They don't even know that when they're older, they're going to be getting sturdy to the dishes, and that's just going to be the future trajectory for them. And that a lot of us older cats, when we hear what they're into, straight to dishes music. We just skip all the parts in the middle and whatnot. And it made me think about how, like, 
when you hear about the stories of artists and the journeys, everybody kind of seems to start at the same point. They always seem to focus on like in, when they first discover hip hop or when they start rapping or what. Usually it's about adolescence or whatever. It's a little different for everyone, but it's like when they right. get their own identity with it. But the part for me is that when it comes to our own musical journeys, it starts like way before anybody usually first heard hip. There are exceptions, but most people don't usually start off with hip hop. Usually, like you know, you pop out in a hospital. There's a song being played in a room, and it starts there. I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's actually yeah. like there's so much impact to it. Like I can remember being five years old in the apartment in Montreal. My dad's got these gray boxes all over the amp, the preamp, the tape deck, the radio, and be busting Led Zeppelins and things like that in the daytimes mm -hmm. and at night times. It would be all this club music straight from the clubs in Montreal. And my mom's, it was more like discos and musicals and Disney movies and that kind right. of vibes and sounds. And it was just like this mishmash of things that greatly influenced me to this day but i had no control over listening to any of it so i was hoping mc till you could bring us back to the youngest version of mc till you could remember mm -hmm. being and tell us what it sounded like to be you before you had any control over the music keeping in mind that most of us did not come from where you come from yeah man it's a great question man i hip-hop was was such a was such an early thing for me that there was moments before that but i was i was very young um i do remember my my grandpa was a um he was a big jazz head he loved uh jazz music and then i do remember him and i actually have his old uh record player uh, right next to me i remember him playing jazz records on this like zenith zenith have you say it uh record player um uh, when i was really really young uh, at his house at you know grandma and grandpa's house um that that might be my earliest memory musical memory uh my mom my mom wasn't really all that into music and my dad was not uh really into music much at all my mom was a little bit more um so my i think my first memory of just like a tune came from seeing my grandpa listening listening to jazz mm. yeah and then like as you got into it, when did like your brother, like be having an older brother, when did he start to get into music or like how much older than you is he? Yeah. So he's three years older than me. So he must've been, I don't know, nine, 10, maybe I'm like six, seven. And I remember he, he wasn't really into it. Like where he was like learning instruments and stuff like that. He, he kind of got into it a little bit more later on, but it was kind of like a passing fad where we were like in the Midwest and the States and like, he like it was just kind of a fun thing for him and his friends to do like they were rapping and listening to rap music and whatnot and so i just saw that and was like oh that's cool I, you know i want to be like that and i want to follow that you know and so they were rapping at like nine years old yeah they were maybe yeah they were pretty young i mean it wasn't like they were you know forming rap groups and stuff like that like just little fun silly stuff i think they had like um I, it's, it's a vague memory and i don't know you know how like memories change over time <laughs> you read into them what wasn't really there but the memory i have was they my brother and his friends were like rapping they had some sort of assignment at school so they made up this little rap i wouldn't it probably wasn't even a song just probably like a few verses you know and they were rapping these verses and i remember that and then i remember my brother and i finding the college radio station that played hip-hop 
I believe one night a week for a few hours. And I remember finding that and like there was one radio, I think at the time, maybe two, but one or two radios in the house. And I remember like turning on the radio to, to 91.5. So remember that and, you know, listening to party lights uh, when they played hip hop music. And that had a pretty profound effect on me uh, just hearing the music, you know. So you guys had like a, a local, is it like pop, hip hop or like, well, because this is the 80s, you said? Like, yeah, this, this was, was pretty early on. This was late. This was probably late 80s uh, for the radio station, maybe early 90s. So this was more like what I remember was like Bismarcky, uh, Run DMC, Beastie Boys, uh, stuff like that. So this was, you know, I mean, it wasn't hip hop then wasn't it wasn't really pop and underground. It was just hip hop, you know, like mm-hmm. everything was just hip hop and it just was so dope to me. I was like, man, what is this music? I love this music. And it just, my brother kind of phased out of it. And he still listened to like Tribe Called Quest and stuff. But for the most part, he got into other music. And for me, for whatever reason, and this is a weird thing, like, I don't know why it stuck with me. Like, it just, there was something about the music from a very young age. Like, it stuck until, like, I'm still, still like going online, you know, reading about it. And so all these years, it's just something about it that has captured me and continues to capture me. And like, is hip hop a big part of life in like that part of? I don't know if you're in Cincinnati at that point or I, the new. Yeah, I forgot at, the at, name of the other place. That's okay. It's all good. It's all good. It's Evansville, Indiana. Evansville, so small. Evansville, yeah. Uh, Evansville, yeah. Uh, Indiana. So no, hip hop wasn't a big part of life there. It was like I said, it was more of like a passing fad. It was like becoming cool to like rap music at that time. And, and that right. that was kind of the height of it. Yeah. So it was more like so how did so outside of the radio there wasn't like a lot of exposure to the culture. It was more like if there were the few people who had it, were you part of like that group of mixtaper folks who would tape stuff off the radio or like as you got a little bit older, how did you indulge your habit? Yeah, definitely. I would definitely would record um, when when we, you know, moved up in the world and got a radio player that we could record off the radio. Uh, that was a big mm. deal. Uh, we would re- yeah, <laughs> I would record the songs, make tapes, definitely. And then my brother, I think I think it was my older brother. So my brother that's three years older than me, he was the one that got into it. But then I have an older brother and I, I'm pretty sure he doesn't remember this, but I'm pretty sure he bought me my first tape and it was a Bismarcky. Uh, the diabolical biz never sleeps with Bismarcky tape and mm. he bought that for me. And that's, that, that's it, man. I just, I just started buying tapes as much, like if I had any money, like holiday money or Christmas money or whatever, I'd beg my mom to buy me tapes. And um, yeah, just started buying lots of hip hop tapes. And, and then at that point it was just, it was just music. So like if I could buy a tape, I would buy a tape. If my brother's friend, like I, my brother had this one friend specifically that throughout all the years he just he stayed into hip-hop pretty heavy and he would dub me tapes all the time and i'd always ask him like what'd you get what'd you get and he'd tell me and then he dubbed me a tape of it and so yeah so at that point it wasn't really like internet wasn't around magazines i wasn't in the magazines yet wasn't old enough and so at that point it was just like getting my hands on as many tapes as possible i'm like you're kind of close to new york but you're not like that close to new york yeah so you're not getting the same like trickle down where like maybe a jersey might get a little bit of love yeah, no, not at all. So like our thing was like you had to go, you know, to the mall or to like the record stores that were popping up at that time and you know, just buy tapes. And I don't even think CD like CDs weren't even an option at that point. Uh maybe elsewhere. I can't remember exactly when CDs hit the scene, but I, I don't remember CDs early on in my, nah. you know, 
when I got into it. I don't it. remember. I do this with a lot of people. Nobody's be, nobody's really talking about CDs in the early 90s except for maybe some of the rich, rich, rich folks. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> yeah, that was more mid-90s. That was like 90. Yeah. I, I remember 96 especially. I remember so like, a lot of CDs in 96. So like prior, so outside of music, when you're still like young, did you, what else did you get up to as a kid? Was it like, were you drawing? Was there sports? Like what are some of the other things that you did? Yeah, basketball. Basketball was a huge thing. I was, I tried like pretty much all sports. I tried baseball, soccer, football, even um, cross country, track and field. So I tried a little bit of everything because I came from a pretty athletic family. Uh, But basketball is what stuck. My dad was a high school basketball coach for, you know, my entire childhood. And so my brothers played and like, it was just, we just a basketball family. So it was just very natural. So I was always, always playing basketball. And then he was just riding bikes in the neighborhood, hanging out with friends, you know, stuff like that. Um, Like most kids, you know, growing up. Yeah. I mean, fair. Well, is it like a city city or is it like one of those cities where you're like, your backyard is the wilderness? Yeah, no, nah, it wasn't like that. Evansville was, it's a city. I mean, it's a smaller city, um, but it definitely, yeah. I mean, houses, there's no like barns and chickens and farms and stuff. I mean, I, I guess just, on the outskirts there was, but um, yeah, it was, de- was definitely just a city. one of those small towns this weekend. And I'm like, man, they can get real small. Like, there's still <laughs> the city, city parts, but then there's the parts that are less city, city. <laughs> yeah, I guess there there were definitely parts like that, but like where I grew up, it was definitely like more mm. more of a city feel. I mean, small city feel, but still, um, you know, still still a city feel. So like, I, uh, when you're like young like that, uh, did you have desires to like be a singer or to make your own music, or at this point, are you just like a fan of it all? Yeah, I yeah, early pretty early on, I was wanting to rap. And I remember I was maybe, I don't know, fourth, fourth, fourth grade maybe. And there was a yard sale across the street and they had this old beat up drum kit and it was like 20 bucks or something. And so I bet we, my brother and I, or maybe it was just me, I don't remember, but we begged my mom, you know, buy us this drum set, please. And um, we got that. And then from there, it was just like, it was just like nonstop, you know, got my hand on a drum machine at some point started writing a lot of lyrics started just rapping over like instrumentals i could find and yeah so pretty young at a pretty young age so I, I had wanted to rap. drums and a drum machine yeah i don't remember when the drum machine came i had i had a like a multi i remember i got a multi track recorder and so with that i would like try to make beats so i like i would like drum a beat and like, like with dr- the like actual the drum, drum set yeah, with the actual drum set, I like do like a drum a drum track, and then I try to find some sort of sample or something. I was just always experimenting with stuff. And when I got a beat machine, I think that was more maybe more in high school, or maybe even post high school, maybe senior year in high school. That was like that was incredible because well, like hold on, so you started yeah. like actually drumming drumming your beats like with a yeah. drum set. That's with hard. a drum set. And then before that though, I you might been you know heard about pause tapes or maybe you've done pause tapes before where i know what they are but we can explain it for anybody that doesn't know what they are so my understanding of them what i did is you know you have a part of a like a song where you know the rapper stops rapping or whatever and there's just a a little bit of beat at the end maybe and so you basically you're, you're manually looping it and so you take that part and you record it onto another tape and then you pause it 
and then you rewind it, play it, and then undo the pause button when that part comes, then you pause it again. So you're trying to extend that break so then you can rap over it. So I, so I did that first and stuff like that. And then, yeah, when I got the drum set, I would do these, you know, drum loops or whatever. I wasn't very good either, though. And that's why I love drum machines because, like, I, I never really got into drumming to where I felt like I was really good at it, you know? So it was, it was pretty, pretty terrible, to be honest with you. Now, nah, but you still did it. Like, there's an intimacy with that because we yeah. were just commenting on how tight your drums is today, right? Oh, thank so think you. Think about yeah. that, right? The correlation between the intimacy of actually smashing drums as a young one maybe yeah. gave you a little more insight in the future on what to do with your drums. Yeah, it, totally. And I like the thing that I always reflect on is like, I just never stopped, you know, no matter what I had, whether it was a pause tape, an old beat up drum kit. Or I even got a newer drum kit as I, you know, took some lessons and try to learn better. Or when I got the drum machine or whatever the case is, like whatever I had at my fingertips is what I used, you know, mm. and like never stopping at something. You either just don't know how to practice right and you never get better <laughs> or you figure out how to practice right and you get better and better and better. And hopefully I'm, I'm of the latter is what I'm hoping, you know because um, I mean I've spent a lot of time on drums and samples and loops and all that you know so hopefully my music is your beats better. was nice well, thank mean, you well, man well, well, when I heard of that project you did there where I was consciously paying attention because sometimes I don't really be paying attention like if you're rapping yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not focusing as much on the beats I'm not sure, sure yeah just because like shit he's rapping that's what I gotta pay attention to but then yeah, like no I feel you now when I was listening to the beats, I'm like, nah, there's some pockets and grooves. Like, I feel like the experience has absolutely paid off, especially as what you're doing is becoming way more prominent in pop again. Like, it's almost like yeah. it's, I, at least for the older side of hip hop, it's very pop. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. I love that there's so much hip hop now that's like beat, beat break break beat driven sample driven you know I, I love that sound and uh love to see artists doing it and there's some really dope music out there using that you know that that style um so yeah uh so you start playing with the drums and doing all of the uh kind of home production throughout your school process and you're playing basketball i assume too but like yeah. are you are you rapping at this point are you recording your own vocals or is it mostly just beat making yeah so somewhere in high school um I, so yeah so in high school i was rapping i was recording it on these like terrible you know multi-track recorders and it sounded awful and then somewhere in high school maybe my junior year i met a guy that was just like this genius and he made like he made computers and this was like 90 you know 98 99 um just a really smart dude and he knew how to record i think he might have got me my first beat machine i think i maybe bought it off of him but anyway uh, and so he was able to record. So I think he was the one that recorded like my first, you know, legitimate recording. It was still awful, but at least it sounded, you know, it sounded semi-professional. And then I, I think I bought a computer off him. He made me a computer. So I bought a computer off him. Um, and then I got the software to use to actually record myself. And then from that point, it was mo mainly me you know, recording. So I wasn't going to studios and stuff like that because I had access to it, you know, in my own home. And when I went to college, uh, I studied broadcast uh, communications and broadcast journalism. And I learned some recording techniques uh, for broadcasting that I just kind of 
you know, used for recording my own, you know, music. And so that was very helpful. And so, yeah, so kind of towards the end of my high school career into college is when I really started like recording and, and getting better at the recording process. Mostly it was like the, the, the production side because you had access to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Up to that point, it was much more about just like experimenting on making drum, you know, making beats and like writing raps, but like just wrapping them to beats that other people made, you know? Right. Yeah. Oh, but that's still a whole process and like a whole yeah. lot's going on. Uh, was there a lot of other people around you at the time that was inclined to like that was or was also musically inclined or was it more just like your family? No, it actually wasn't really much of my family at all. I mean, I, my brother, he kind of got the bug started in me, but then he just kind of went off to other things, but there was always friends, you know, uh, and, and, it got progressively more serious as I got older. So right. the the middle school crew, I mean, that was fun, but like we weren't, you know, doing anything, you know, big. And then high school got a little you bit guys, more serious. So was it like, did you guys have like a battle circuit? It was like ciphers. Like what was happening when the school, because I've heard a wide range of what yeah. high school rapping can be. So, so my middle school and high school, it was more of like the school we went to, I was raised in a Catholic family. So I come from a big Catholic family. And mm. so we went to Catholic schools. And so hip hop, there was a, a segment of the school that was into hip hop, but it was a pretty small, I mean, at that time, like, you know, late nineties, almost everyone is not everyone, but a lot of people are listening to hip hop, but very few people are actually rapping. And so there was a small group of us, uh, you know, kind of rapping both in middle school and in high school. But it was a pretty small group. But we were, you know, now, like, if you say, oh, I rap, it's like, okay, well, I've met like 15 other people today that rap. Facts. But, but back Tell then us. it was like, oh, you rap? <laughs> rap for us. Like, it was like an anomaly back then, you know, it was like, ooh, this is something mysterious, something different, because not a lot of people did it, you know, so like we would rap it house parties or you know some event at school and like we weren't that good but we were the only ones doing it so it's like oh you guys are awesome you know that type of thing uh so yeah so it was just rapping rapping with friends and buddies in middle school and high school and then when i went to college uh, again just rapping with buddies and then as i got a little bit older and saw other people taking it a little bit more serious i i yeah. Also, you know, as you're describing as well. this, I can picture how people like the free daps became the free daps as they were just rapping with buddies. <laughs> yeah, that's it, man. Just rapping with buddies. <laughs> it's so different than other people's. Like, cause you know, like if you look at something like New York, it's more like you'd be rapping and next mass be like, oh, you rap and now it's on. And like there's right, so many right. other versions yeah. of how that can go out that is just so pleasant. <laughs> yeah, totally. No, I, I totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my my experience was very uh, was very different from like the battle scene. Now, when I got out of high school, when I was like, um, I think I was in college at the time, I did get more into the battle scene at that point. And there was at that point now. Now we're talking like ninety nine, two thousand. Now there's a much bigger hip hop scene, you know, in right. Evansville. I'm still in Evansville at this time. There's a much bigger hip hop scene. There's even a battle scene that is kind of like forming and, and cultivating and i was not really a part of cultivating it but i was definitely there you know kind of supporting it on so i did get into that a little bit i wasn't much of a battler i got into a few battles but so there's like a whole thing. there's a whole like thriving hip-hop scene in front of your face as you're getting into like making music so you just have all these older artists and stuff around you that you're like able to kind of almost learn from yeah definitely and when i was in i think I was, yeah i was still in high school 
uh, a buddy of mine and I, we did a, a hip hop show on this AM station. You could like barely hear it, but, uh, but we did it. And then through that, we met some artists out of Indianapolis, which is Evansville and Indianapolis, like three and a half hours away. And I have family okay. in Indianapolis. So I got up there often as a kid. So there was this cat, Fitty Futuristic was his name. And he really was helpful. And he was a recording artist, you know, in the hip hop world and had recorded some CDs and stuff. And so he really kind of took me under his wing and helped me with recording and taught me things and helped me make better beats. And uh, it was kind of, kind of my mentor for several years, uh, which was really cool because, you know, he didn't have to do that, but he did. And uh, I appreciate that. So is there like is there anyone like famous from Evansville? Like that people would know. Man, not uh, famous people from Evansville. Um, Don Mattingly, he was a baseball player for the Yankees. He went to my Fair. high school actually. Calbert Chaney, yeah. uh, he was a. I mean, he what he was in the NBA for many years, but wasn't like a. He was like mm. a six man, I think. Um, yeah. I was just Kaz Kaz one. I don't know if you've heard the name Kaz one before, but he's a hip hop artist from Evansville. So it's possible. So, I don't know. You yeah. never know who it is. You never know. You never know. It could be. And then you're educating us still because now we got to know who Kaz One is. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Look up Kaz One. He's, he's like, boy. I was sitting there going, I don't know that I heard of Evansville really before today, but you're telling yeah. me there was a whole ass hip hop scene in 99, 2000. And sometimes yeah. I have these moments where like, I start to think about all of the pockets, right? Because you only yeah. ever hear about New York, Atlanta, Houston, and a few other places, right? I mean, LA right. and whatnot. But then, like, y'all had your stuff, too. And I'm sure then Cincinnati would have had its stuff going on, too. And I'm sure, like, all of these places all around have these little budding scenes that, for, like, no one's really heard of. Yeah. But still cultivated entire cultures that thrive and exist to this day. Yeah. And that's a wild thought. It is a wild thought. And it, I love it. And I love it. And Cincinnati, especially, Cincinnati has a really rich uh, music scene and hip hop scene. Uh, they used to host Scribble Jam. Right. For, for those not familiar, it was a huge hip hop festival. I mean, DJing and b boying, breakdancing, uh, MCing, MC battles, bringing in, you know, the best hip hop artists, you know. Um, to perform Eminem was there and lost in a battle and that's I mean that's how dope it was you know so yeah there's a rich rich hip hop scene it's really cool anybody I've talked to who's been there told me it was like it was like the best way I'm paraphrasing it is was like a summer camp where you would run into every rapper you've ever cared about in the parking lot yeah that's it right yeah yeah no doubt and then like just like the music scene, like King Records was here and like James Brown. I'm not sure if he got a start here, but like this was very instrumental in his career. Cincinnati was and um, Common, you know, one of my favorite MCs of all time. Isn't from here, but he had roots here and mm -hmm. his his summers coming down to Cincinnati were formative in, in his hip hop career because he would come down and see, you know, cats in Bond Hill, shout out to Bond Hill, uh, that were rapping. And so that inspired him, you know, to be an MC. So there's a rich history of, of being an inspiration to many people here in Cincinnati. Yeah, it's wild. Like I know Cincinnati a little bit more than I know the surrounding areas, but it's just the thought that the areas surrounding it be having all these own little yeah. <laughs> scenes full of right. people that like, 
who could have gone to Cincinnati and just switched flags kind of thing, and then nobody right. would really know, et cetera, especially back then in the pre-Wikipedia era where nothing's documented <laughs> right. and you just have to rely totally. on the honor system. <laughs> right, right, yeah. I'm from Cincinnati, yeah. Right. Um, so that's wild. So, so you go to college, you study journalism and communications, I think you said, or something yeah, like that. It was a, yeah, broadcast journalism was my degree. Yeah, that's to be like a radio journalist or like TV or it was that or just like a reporter, like just for like a news anchor, like kind of all encompassing. And I didn't do any of it. <laughs> I studied it, got my degree, but then didn't do it. That's wild. I always wanted yeah. to like as like a as like a fallback plan if I was to ever go back to school, be in something like that. Because yeah, it's great. So I loved it. I loved it. And I use it. I use a lot of those skills, you know, now, but didn't, didn't go, I didn't go in that path, you know, to become a broadcast journalist or whatever. No, that's fair. But you still went to school. You got the experiences where while you were there, you were still making music, right? Not, yeah. How does it evolve as you're in college now? Yeah. So um, it's just getting a little more serious, you know? I'm taking it more seriously. I'm starting to think about, hey, you know, could could I make a living off of this? And I'm I'm meeting other people that are a little bit more serious. And my story is 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 well, every story is different. But I really got into the Christian hip hop lane, and I was in that mm. for for a long time. And there was there was actually there's some like really great things about being in that lane. There were some really awful things about that lane too um and i got out of it but it, there was a, a lot of good things like so there was, interesting there was yeah it is a whole a whole nother conversation uh but there was in college i met some really key people and got connected to like a conference circuit and so i was able to rap at conferences like the christian conferences huge. yeah these were christian conferences oh that's like volume and, and it was cool because you know, when I was, I was just out of college, I don't know, maybe for a year or two, maybe more, I don't remember. I had moved to Cincinnati. I'd been here for a little bit. I met my man, Wonder Brown, who's from a crew called the Scribbling Idiots. If y'all don't know the Scribbling Idiots, Google them. They make dope music. And Wonder Brown and I, uh, were kind of like-minded. We started doing some shows together and we are like, yo, we don't, we don't want to just rap on stage. We want to like put on skits and like act and rap and act and like be really engaging with the audience. So long story short, he, he gets ready to move out to California. He calls me up. He's like, yo, we should go on tour. Cause he knew I had family out there and he's just going to move out there to stay. He was like, we'll just go on tour. We'll drive out and then we'll do the tour. And then, you know, you can fly home. And I'm like, well, do you know how to book a tour? And he's like, no. And I was like, oh, I don't know either. So we were like, all right, great, let's do it. So we figured it out. We did this tour. And a lot of the tour, what, what was cool and bringing it back to the Christian hip hop world is because a lot of like our anchor dates were with like youth groups and churches and different ministries that were not interested in like getting a big name to like draw a bunch of people because they already had a crowd. They were just interested in getting someone of quality and we convinced them that we were good enough and they would book us. And so we would go and we would be able to rap for a lot of people that had no idea who we were. And like that wouldn't work like in the bar scene or like the club scene if you don't you know nobody's gonna show up for someone they don't know generally speaking, and so it really worked to our advantage. No, that's we the had dream really is good to find time. those places. 
When What's that? Find, when you find those places <laughs> that just no matter what, a hundred people are there. Those yeah. are the dreams. Those are the guys right. who pay you to rap. <laughs> right, and that's kind of that's kind of what we had because we would go to these shows where no one knows us. We would get paid. We would sell a lot of CDs and T-shirts and stuff, and there would be people there. It was like just a, just like the perfect scenario for an up and coming artist that's trying to get their name out. You know. Did you ever get to meet the KJ Five Twos or the Cross Movements or Yo. any of these dudes? Yes, I met lots of them. I was in this world for a while. I KJ Five Two. I'm sure I met him. I think I met him down in Nashville. I'm pretty sure. But Cross Movement. Interesting about Cross Movement. Do you know about Cross Movement? Did you just say Cross Movement? I did. Yeah. yeah. So oh, I got. <laughs> I, so I ended up having a small stint in youth group land, and then no uh, word. So, like, at a point, you know, they're like, oh, you like rap? Let me introduce you to cross movements back yeah. when they were doing their, like, not as, like, it was, I don't want to call it corny, but some of the stuff was not, like, you could, it was like Canadian TV. Like, you could tell mm. it was not the same. But the bars was good. Like, they did that whole yeah. album that was, like, a court case and a bunch of shit like that. And I was like, wow, they really be going in on, in the 2000s, they got way better, in my opinion, with production. But like yeah. in the ninety, but like them, and then there was grits and a few yeah, other ones. Yeah, and I, I was like really into like the vibe of what Christian hip hop was. Yeah, yeah. So the cross movement, they there was one guy in there, uh, fanatic, was his name, and he. I don't know if you know the story, but he recently left, <clears throat> left the faith altogether, like denounced it, and came out with this book called "Let There Be Gaslight." It's on my list. I need I need to read it. Uh, but it's really interesting to watch, like follow his social media because when you come out of the church and you denounce your faith, it's not like people from that community are like, all right, peace. It's good to have you. Like, you know, they kind of go at you and, and there's a lot of like, well, you never were a Christian anyway. And, you know, how can you, you know, and there's a lot of debating and trying to get them back and I'm praying for you, brother, and all this stuff. So it's, it's been fascinating watching his experience or at least the parts that he's sharing on social media, you know, about his deconversion, you know, process or whatever. I don't know if that's the right term, but, no, but yeah, it's been interesting fascinating. interesting term for that. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. I did yeah. not know, but I would like to read a book based on a guy who used to be in cross movements. Because when you said the Christian rap, like, look, I was in the church for a hot minute, and I feel like I got shamed out the church because mm. marijuana and sex were interesting to like a nineteen-year-old me. Yeah, like, naturally. Yeah, and, yo, shame the fuck out of that yeah. shit. Like, don't yeah. call yourself a Christian. You embarrassing us was a direct quote from one person. Oh wow, like, <laughs> that's crazy. So like the rules of being Christian, and then you read the Bible, right? Because you're supposed to read the Bible, and yeah. you're like, bro, yes. it ain't saying this in this book. It's not right. what the book is saying. Y'all are twisting that message, and I feel like I don't know. I can only imagine what a music industry. That really yeah, man. does make money would be like, especially with because yeah. what what qualifies as Christian, right? Yeah, I made I made some music. I remember I made this demo. I think it was like five songs, and um, some some big wig in the Christian industry. I was able to get it into his hands. He was like, "Well, I just don't think it's Christian enough." I remember that comment. I was like, "All right, I, this is just absurd to me. <laughs> it's so absurd." Because like, how could he? I, yeah. So I have lots of problems with it, but. I I met a lot of great people in that world. 
and had a lot of great experiences, you know, in that world. And, uh, yeah, and it really formed me in some ways, uh, in some good ways, you know, and it also made me, you know, as I became more reflective of who I am and who I want to be in the world, it helped, it helped form me by being able to see what I don't want to be, you know, so I was, right. I was seeing debates and conversations about things. Like I just got to a point where I was like, I don't really care. I don't care about this dogma anymore. I don't care about the doctrine. Did they do shit like debate the tribulation and if the church will go through it and some of these really obscure philosophical topics where you're like, what is the point of this debate? Yeah, there's all, I mean, all of that stuff. And like, is the world, you know, 8,000 years old or is it billions or, you know, there's all these debates and like, I, and I remember, like, I remember this to this day. There was this moment. I made this album called Beautiful Raw. And the, I grew up in a Catholic family, and then I started hanging around these Protestant kids, these non-Catholics. And so what I saw was there was like a lot of issues where like the Catholic side would describe it one way, interpret it one way, and then the Protestant side would interpret it another way. And it would be opposing views, but they both made sense as I heard them from each side. And so I was really trying to figure it out. Like, should I be a Catholic? Should I not be a Catholic? And so I was like going through this whole process of like trying to figure this stuff out and which side is right, which side is wrong. And I made this album putting a lot of this like exploring and asking questions and doubting called Beautiful Raw. And this guy in the Christian hip hop world got a hold of it, I guess, and listened to it. And we were at this conference after the conference. We were in this restaurant talking about it. And he's like wanting to debate me and argue with me and maybe not even argue, but like, he just wants to prove his side and how, like why what something I said was wrong. And I just remember as clear as day thinking, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care anymore. I don't care about the doctrine. I don't care if you believe this particular thing about God or whoever, or about the church. It's like, I just care about people. And I, I yeah. want to be in community with people and try to be a better person as I hopefully help people in the community I'm with, you know, be better. And so that's just kind of how I've lived my life since then. And it's been beautiful. It's been wonderful. It's been a wonderful oh, That's a wild experience. thought. So like, you're like mad young in college and whatnot, or just past college, and you just break into the Christian tour circuit. <laughs> well, I mean, I, ca- I in high school, I kind of got caught up in the Christian right, right. world. And so, like, I was, like, being introduced to more and more people in that world. So it wasn't just, like, overnight. No, and, like, like high-key, if people slow. don't know, like, churches got networks for days. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I'm sure setting up a tour is, like, you holler at your your peoples, and your peoples have peoples everywhere, yeah. and everybody's going to call in favors for everything because that's how it all works. And the next thing you know, you're meeting all the people you need to meet. Yeah, I mean, it, I... It was a little more hard. Like you may sound real easy, <laughs> but it's, I, I definitely yeah. think it's easier than like, I think it was easier for me to book that tour than someone that didn't have that, that network Facts. because it's, I mean the, the normal network of like playing coffee shops and open mics and trying to open up for people. I feel like that's a There's lot. Not, you're not harder. getting paid. You're, that's what yeah. I can say. Getting paid to rap right. is fucking hard. Right. Like yeah. I'm not talking like selling merch, not getting paid to, getting rap, paid to rap is fucking yeah. hard. Especially right. cause like a lot of the city people don't want to fuck with hip hop. Not all hip hop, but not all of it. Like there's certain hip hop still fuck with a lot. Like yeah. 
And this is a no disrespecting, but lately indigenous folk will get a lot of love from the city, a lot more than mm. other kinds of hip hop. And it's just kind of how it's playing out, you know? Yeah. So it's like, it's not the same grind, but like the Christian groups, it's like a whole other universe. Yeah. And, it, and you're in a part of the world where it's different. Y'all got like rich Christian universes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, yes, definitely. Definitely. And I, you know, I recommend, you know, any artist that's trying to break into like touring, like think about, think about niche, like think about a niche audience that you can tap into. You know, I know Mega Ran, he got into like the, the nerdcore scene. Yeah. Nerdcore scene. Like, yeah, I think he raps at like the conferences or whatever, but you know, is, are there audiences out there already that would naturally want to see you? Not because they know you and know your work, but they know that you represent something that they, you know, value, you know? That's a really big knowledge nugget still. I mean, yeah. it's a super hard question to answer, but it really does require having principles and a bunch of other things to get to that answer. So it's probably worth investing in. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Even on like a more corporate front, the basis of branding is still brand identity, which requires yeah. having identity. Right. Yeah, totally. Definitely. I, I'm my next my next thing when my kids are older out the house or, you know, whatever, just older and I get back into because I want to get back to touring because I love touring. So mm. my, my next idea, unless someone does it before me and, and just, you know, sweeps up with it, is I want to tour <laughs> retirement homes all across the country. Nobody said that to me <laughs> before in my life. Just think you about this. There right more, more and more people going into retirement homes grew up on hip hop. More and more. That's going to be the case more and more as we get older. And older people, uh, you have a captive audience. They are there. They're not going anywhere. They're in the retirement home. <laughs> so you got a captive audience. And for the inqu inquisitive minds, you don't just do a show. You put on like a little lecture about hip hop, hip hop history. And you do a little, you know, where was it started? You talk about the Bronx, all that. And then you put on a little show and then you have some conversation. I think it'd be a great time. So straight up, Killer Mike did something very similar. <laughs> oh, did he already do it? Not fully, but he, so he did a show called Trigger Warning with Killer Mike where I love it. He's one of my like favorite people in this because yeah, he will use the great. most shockingly absurd shit in intelligent ways. So <laughs> yeah, he right, walked right. in and did like a remix of one of his tracks. So he's rapping about all of his own shit at these old people. And that part was, <laughs> he really did the lecture thing like that. He did. It was like yeah, a one-off. Yeah. So it was a cool idea. But the other thing is I was just out in the middle of nowhere, Quebec, and we were the brass band and they asked me to come freestyle. And the only audience was a bunch of old people at a farmer's market in the middle of some <laughs> next to a highway shit. It was a vibe. So I just fucking did the hand thing. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they all did that, it. Yeah. Everybody yeah, was down. There you go. They're all like 60 plus, bro. Nah, old people fuck with rap now. It's it's like yeah, the end. Totally. I don't know when they jumped on board. I don't know, but they're in and they're, oh, they're down. I, dude, I remember rapping at churches and older people... And this was like almost 20 years ago. Yeah, 20 years ago. Like older people would come up to me and be like, I don't like rap music, but I like what you did. I was like, well, I did rap music. So I remember back then even thinking like, oh, yeah, this is cool. Elderly people, they, they, they can get down for this, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, yeah, we were in, uh, I was in New York City um, when the Drake album, the, the new house music one came out. Dope. And my man was playing it on his phone as we walked through the subway. 
and I watched these old people get jiggy to it. Like these <laughs> old ass tourists were like shaking their yeah, hips man. and stuff. It was wild. That's right. Hey, shout out to all the all the people that are up there in age. Yeah, and as Willie's saying, I've sixty five ish to fifty five. Like that's like the age group of the first gen yeah. of hip hop. Right. So exactly. like, there you go. It just it's kind of where it's going now. That's it. That's <laughs> it. Exactly. That's a beautiful thing still. So I'm glad that I'm not on the old side, to be honest. I like being in the middle here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 10 years, y'all. Catch me at your nearest retirement home. On the show. <laughs> no, but that's a lit vibe. I'm sure that, yeah. you know, especially the private market, oh boy. That's what I'm saying. They got, they got budgets, you know? They got facilities. They, they got probably facilities. have a, audit, they have that room people will sit in all day anyway. Yeah, exactly. What are you doing? If you get tired, they got beds. You know, <laughs> take a nap after the show. Show and then show. You don't have to stay up all night, man. I mean, the show's gonna be at like you know four in the afternoon, right? It's not gonna be like a late night retirement home show. <laughs> Bro, you can run like five shows a day. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, man. You, you can rack up, man. I go to I'm gonna go to Montreal. I'm gonna do every retirement home in two days. It's gonna be great. <laughs> And I can still do, I can still do the, uh, you know, the club scene and, you know, the nights, the bar scene or whatever at night, you know? That's actually a wild <laughs> thought. Nobody's ever gone there for me, but, you know, Willie was go. watching it. Uh, we've been doing <laughs> some shows and shit. Willie, we got to figure out a way to break the retirement, retirement home scene, home man. Because we got to pave the way for you over here <laughs> while you work on it in your That's side. That's right. Yeah. I, yeah. There you go. I'll do it in the States. You do it in Canada. We'll, no, we'll Quebec's a special place, sir. It is especially weird because yeah. we have language laws and other complications oh, wow. that. Okay. Yeah. So I found out today Otterbox won't deliver to Quebec no more because of our latest law, which changed language restrictions and reinforced this, that, the next thing. I'm pretty sure it's because the word Otterbox isn't French and their packaging isn't French or whatever or some shit. What? So. Yeah, it's real shit, bro. Ain't nobody can ever we, talking about Quebec. Can we like still that. ship stuff to you? Like from yeah, the states? but you're not. Yeah, it's more. I don't know to the degree of how this law got enforced. I know that, but like in a lot of ways, if your packaging isn't in French and you're a big corporation and shit, there may be issues with selling to Quebec. Huh. If you do it, nobody fucking cares, to be honest, because you're you're just kind of like not really gonna get caught. Right. But like at a real level, I I don't know. Like I feel like with a book, huh. it's it's kind of different because it's a book. But like, let's say you sold, um, I don't know, like a fucking phone that came with instructions. Those instructions would have to be in French, or in Quebec, really? it's a big no no. Wow. Yeah, dead ass. Like, that's crazy yeah bro, like, it's weird well, yo they okay. they just told me i'm a minority bro like wow. it's the weirdest shit ever because i'm what they call a historic anglo and i'm like that's the weirdest shit ever interesting how, how? but like you know quebec's strange it's a strange place yeah, i'm not really like... acting like i'm a minority but my government dead ass made up a term for me wow Histor <laughs> like, historical anglo yeah, because I was born here as an English person to a person who both my parents went to English school. So what that means is my kids can go to English school. But let's say you emigrated here. Your yeah. kids would actually have to go to French school. Huh. Because you're not a historic Anglo. You're just a regular That's... Anglo. Right. Oh, man. Dang. 
regular angle angles, man. Nah, Quebec's wildly weird. Like <laughs> they want your tourism money, but they don't know how to process the language identity. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's weird. Shout out to Trudeau. Ah, ah Trudeau. Yeah, he's from here. He's from Montreal. <laughs> he gets it <laughs> more than other people get it. <laughs> um. So you so you do this Christian tour. You ha- do you go like all over, or is it more of a linear tour? Yeah. No. So we went. We started in Cincinnati. I think that we went up to Indianapolis, Chicago, uh, Kansas City, maybe Denver, Albuquerque. I think I, and just, we just like kind of made our way out to so it's California. Like you made like a, a line and you book shit along the yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. You got there. Yeah. So we did. We did that, and then Wonder Brown stayed out there like I don't know five six months. He was like, I'm moving back. <laughs> So we're like, well, we know what we got to do. We got to tour back. So I flew out there and we toured back. And then we booked another tour to the East Coast. So that was like Virginia Beach up to like New York, D.C. and New York City and Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. And um, that was our third one. And then we did. And then I did a fourth one just myself and my wife so was with me. Were you me, guys like so. just driving together? Like, yeah. Did you get a van or is it? Nah, like- he, no, we, he, the, the first two, he had a car. And we just drove his car and yeah. And we, we, it was a mixture of show. Like we would book, we would literally book like whoever booked us first, like that's where we went. <laughs> so it took a long time to book these. I mean, I would work on this like months and months and months in advance to, you know, book all this stuff. And so, but we got them all booked and it was like shows like one night would like, it could be at a church or a youth group. Next night could be like at someone's house. Um, we did a hookah bar one time. And yeah, so it was just like rant, like very random Hold places. Who could buy through a Christian rap show? Yeah, well, we were like, we didn't, we were like, kind of like, we would like meander, like, we could go to like Christian places and, and, we knew the language, you know, we kind of came from that background, but we could also go to hookah bars and rap. Our music wasn't like oversaturated with like religion and, you know, like, like what cross movement was, mm. you know? Um, so like we, you know, a lot of our music was fun. It was upbeat. It was, you know, more just kind of relational. And so like, it wasn't, it wasn't anything that would necessarily offend people in the church necessarily. Some people did. Um, and, but it wasn't something that like people in like a club be like, oh y'all are corny, you get out of here, you know. That's like nah, I get what you mean. There's that like, like, like honestly, like that ooh ah song by Grits. Yeah, yeah, kind of like Grits. Yeah, shit got repurposed for days. Yeah, that was I like that song. I like that song. Um, but yeah, so like you did that for how many years? Because that sounds like it was a long time. Yeah, I was in that for a while. Um, the tours. I guess the tours happened in like a three-year span, and then uh, after I was married and had our, you know, our first kid, I got two kids now. Um, I stopped with the touring. I stopped performing as much just because I, I wanted to be home more. And so I, at that point, I, I kind of slowly started getting out of that scene. Now I was still like, and even to this day, like I work for uh, the Episcopal Diocese. So I still work for like a Christian organization, um, but it's very different what I, who I work for today and what I do today versus what I was doing and who I was working for back then. It's just like night and day difference. Um, but coming out of that like very hyper Christian evangelical world, I, I started coming out of that 
you know, I don't know, 2000, shoot, 13, 14, and just kind of slowly kind of walked on out, you know. So all your, like, music videos and stuff are from, like, 2012. That's, like, when you're on, like, the tail end of your touring run and you're all right. out there running yeah. these songs up. Yep, yeah, exactly. And even, like, so those songs, like, you know, well, a couple of those are pretty gimmicky, <laughs> uh, especially the one where we get run over at the end. But, you know, those songs, like, if you listen to the lyrics, it's not it's not anything that's going to fit anyone, I don't think. And it's not something that's, like, you know, super lame. No, it know? totally explains it. It reminds me of, like, like you know, like, you guys want to go a little harder, and you're absolutely not. Hmm. yeah like that would be what i felt off of it not because it's good i got it's not but i feel like there's like you guys have bar you you have bars i think where you're like even if i'm not saying anything i can still rap good yeah yeah, right right yeah man's want to be saying shit (laughs) (laughs) yeah we did a lot of rapping just to be rap and the other thing like wonder brown and i did is we recorded an album together and a lot of that album the thought process was, will this translate to an, a live audience? Because he and I were the ones out there doing a lot of shows together. And when we recorded our album together, we really try to think through, how is this going to translate? Is this going to be a good live song that shit, we can do? Eh? That is a big concept. That shit changes a lot about, I think, how you write music. Yeah, totally. And so a lot of those songs, like the song on the actual CD or the album or whatever, it's like some people like it but if you hear us perform some of those songs like it takes on a whole different like there's one song we have i think it's called words and when you listen to the song it's like it's just a song but when we performed it we actually had cards like these big cards with the words we are rapping about on the cards and like you'd see the word we rap about it and then you throw the card down and then we rap about that word and so there's like this whole visual presentation to you know most of our songs and it was just a different it was a different experience you know experiencing mm. the song versus just hearing it you know no, i totally appreciate that i also just got a shout out i marad i almost marad heck yeah i said that real bad <laughs> for the follow that's real dope Heck and I yeah. know you had somebody else in here, if I scroll up, that came through who I meant to, like, shout out before. Profound MC also came through. Oh, so yes. So I give love for that, for the people that pop in and leave the little comments there because we do see them, even if I don't Heck answer yeah. all of them. <clears throat> yeah, we de- before we go, we definitely need to talk about Iomas, Murad, and Profound because they're part of the the crew that I run with now that we're writing the books together and doing doing everything together now, so... Not as big lit. I mean, I feel like we still have plenty to talk about, but yeah, you also yeah. are doing. I, I'm curious because, like, writing for live is something I'm going through now. As I write songs, mm. I have to make the decision is this something I can promote at a live show? Yeah. Yes or yeah. no? Yeah, yeah, okay, maybe we go down the proper song polishing route. No, let's just rap and throw this on what I'm calling a mixtape. <laughs> you know, there you go. Some of this shit, right you're on. like, do I even want to memorize this shit? <laughs> like right, right yeah totally and then the, like what are some of the because like yo live people like the, the audience is different it's like you might want to rap for like a lot of bars but that might really not be the flex for like a live show in fact choruses are great and repetition helps yeah totally and like, like what are your tips for that yeah so one is like it, it either either you have a lot of words and that's like kind of a mesmerizing technique to bring people in 
or don't have a lot of words because I see people get, you know, they just, they're too wordy. And when you're performing too, having too many words can be very problematic sometimes. So keeping it simple and taking, you know, dropping out words, I think dropping out the music is very important for doing live shows. So you drop out the snare, drop out the kick, drop out everything for a minute and like do your punchline or whatever. Um, I think that's, you know, that, that, that's entertaining to the audience uh, when you do that. I also think like beat like, selection, kind of like a DJ yeah. cutting your shit. Yep. Like I would, I would edit that in cause we didn't have a DJ. So I would edit that stuff in, you know, we would have like the, the song that we would record for the CD or, you know, for the recording. And then we, I would do another edit like for the beat for like the performance of it. And I think more like more than like techniques for a song, I think, what I like my my experience taught me was before and after the song or songs was was like so important. And what I likened it to was like, you know, like foot if you're a football fan, you watch the Super Bowl for the Super Bowl, right? Like you you get into the game. But if you're not a Super Bowl fan, like if you're not a football fan, you watch right. the Super Bowl, but you don't really pay attention. You're there I'm for the food least. and I'm you get excited about that guy. Yeah. And you get excited about commercials, maybe like, oh, this commercial. That's how I used to think about performing for people is that most people that showed up were not showing up for me, you know, the football. They were showing up just to have a good fun night and they didn't really care about the performers. We were just kind of like the commercials in between like them chatting and hanging out. So I was like, all right, I need to make my commercials really, really tight. And those were like the skits. So like we would do skits in between the songs to try to pull people in. And so I think how you set up the songs and how you finish them is as important, if not more important than the actual songs. If you're not, tell them if you're in a scene where they're not there for you, you know, and we were there a lot of times where like people were not showing up. Everybody's in a scene where nobody's there for them. That's how (laughs) you start. That's how you start. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So you got, and it's not like it can feel gimmicky. I think sometimes and like, I'm a youth, like I work with young people. I work with kids. So like I have a natural inclination to like be silly and do silly things. And I don't mind that other people are not like that, but you can still figure out how, in your own context and how you feel confident being yourself, you can still figure out how to set up a song in a way that's going to engage people and invite people in and not just be like, yo, drop the beat, blah, 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 blah. Nobody's paying no, attention. Like, y'all even suck, to you like, know, type of thing. Like, for, like to me, I like, forget about like on the small end. Look at what the pros do. J. Cole will give you like a four minute speech about some yeah. shit if he feels like it. I watch Tyler, the creator's La 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 Palooza performance, bro. That shit is like choreographed to the T, mm, a performance yeah. theater mixed in. Then the songs come in. But like there's all this stuff to it where not everybody I know that's doing really, really well with it will like come in and do some. I, I, I mean, I guess it's gimmicky, but like gimmicks that make sense yeah. is just good branding. Right? Yeah, like, totally. It's sticky shit. Like you like I think that like not every time am I gonna put a speech, but there's certain songs and certain moments where it's like you wanna create like a segue see, tying all the different things together so that like people care more. Cause yeah. like you have to you have what, thirty seconds max to give them a reason to give a shit about what you're about to do. Yeah. Right. Totally. And and it's like you you, you can be like a great a great MC, a great lyricist, have the dopest bars, like the, the dopest lyrics. 
or you can be a really good entertainer or you can be both or you can be one or the other. And that's what I realized. Like they don't really care if I'm a great rapper. They care if I'm a great entertainer. And so I was just like, I'm going to be a really good entertainer because that felt good and natural to me. It didn't feel gimmicky to me to entertain people, you know, because people like a lot of times, you know, people come out to a show, you know, they're not there to like, you know, hear a lecture or have to like think hard, like they've had a hard day or a hard week or whatever. They're just trying to unwind and relax. And I want to like help with that process. I wanted to come in and entertain them, make them laugh a little bit, make them, you know, just a little bit more comfortable than what they were. And so I very quickly realized like, I really want to be a good entertainer. Like I want to be a good mm. lyricist and I want to write, you know, good lyrics and good engaging music. But when I'm on stage, none of that stuff really matters too much if you're not a good entertainer because people aren't going to, you know, unless you're like in front of like hardcore, straight up, <laughs> you know, like, you just gotta, yeah, if you're scribble scribble jam, jam. just wrap your bars and do, oh, like, that's dope, you know, but if you're just at, you know, just commonplace, just common people, like you got to entertain, you know, and that's what I learned. And yeah, that's it. a huge lesson. I just want to shout out Joe November for following yeah. as well. He Heck came yeah. in. I took a minute to say thanks for the follow, but um, I don't want to interrupt. But yeah, I know that's uh, a huge yeah. tip, man. Because, yo, honestly, I try to be the most memorable person in a bar from there. So I started wearing bright yeah. pink shit because, <laughs> you know, like I take my shirt off mid-set now. I mean, you know. It makes sense in do. the context of everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and my, my girlfriend right there, she approves. So we she approves? All, all right. She right approves. On. So Not it's like, like, but it's more like, it's all part, like, my first track's called Lose Weight on my set, so, like, it just ties into, like, the preposterous nature of my character and shit. I'm not, it's freaking sweaty. That's it's great. Sweaty. You know, <laughs> I get it, you know? So, like, I just look at it like, nah, these these little hooks that you bring in, like, I don't know, I have a song called I Don't Like Pickle Chips, so we bring in a bag of pickle chips, and I fucking throw it into the crowd. Oh, man, I love pickle chips, man. That's Dang. fair. I want to be I at just, your show so I can just get some free pickle chips. You know, somebody does get them, though. Anybody that's seen that shit remembers that shit. <laughs> yeah, they and remember it. Heck yeah. They might not remember the song, but I get tagged in <laughs> pickle shit now. <laughs> yeah, I get anybody that don't like pickle chips, I totally got you. We got some merch coming. <laughs> <laughs> Team No Pickle. <laughs> Yo, that's you find hilarious. out some shit, though. People's divisive. My, my general theory is two-thirds of people like pickles with all the passion in the world. Yeah, the other third hate a pickle, but with all the passion, <laughs> I, it's a really polarizing nah, topic. Yeah, I'm all in for the pickles, man. I I think I'm pro pickle. I think cucumbers. <laughs> I think cucumbers are the inferior community in that scenario, and they just are waiting to be pickles. I love pickles, man. They're I like incredible. cucumbers better. Cucumbers got that neutrality. They make salads a little crunchy <laughs> in a different way with some texture. <laughs> all right, let me. But let me ask you this before we get back to something serious. What taste bud wise? Do your taste buds enjoy a pickle better or a cucumber? Cucumber. Really? I don't really like pickles, man. Like, I, wow. like I, I, I just pickles got this like flavor and texture. I'm not into not it's into, a combination no, of it. I'm just not on team pickle. And I I'll had an it. unfortunate moment of biting into a pickle recently, and I was like, ah, <laughs> oh, sometimes I didn't know that they put pickles on chicken burgers. I don't know I'm why so, I didn't know that, but <laughs> I'm so I'm sorry for your experience and. <laughs> If you ever right. need to get rid of pickles, I'm your guy. You can give me your pickles. 
I love it. <laughs> but yeah, so basically, you end up dipping out of the the scene because the politics of the scene and it, how it's stifling your art isn't your favorite mixed yeah. with children. Yeah, I think I think I left the scene because it just it wasn't authentic anymore. You know, it just wasn't me. It, I didn't was it want that you were unauthentic to the scene, or that the scene yeah. is inherently inauthentic. Well, maybe both, but like I was not, <laughs> I was not that, I was not that. Like I, I was in that scene for a long time. I would say even I identified with it for a long time, but I, I don't know if it ever really felt natural, like who I was. And I just at, at a certain point, I was like, I don't really need, I don't need to be in this, you know, because it doesn't really feel like this is who I am, you know. And I wasn't like, I wasn't mad. I wasn't like, everyone did me wrong. I was just like, it's just really isn't me and my style. You know, honestly, so just, you kind of sound like pop stars who go indie. That was <laughs> yeah, the most yeah. interesting thing to yeah. me about that is like, in general, yeah, it sounds like, nah, the industry is the industry, no matter what the industry is. <laughs> yeah. And it's fine. Like, I, you know, like I said, like, I wasn't mad at anyone. Like, that's, it is what it is. I just, it wasn't me. So. I just kind of slowly walked out. And I said, you know, I still have relationships with people in that scene. And, but, you know, you, I, I can't tell you the last time I went to a Christian hip hop event or concert, but more like love. Him? Hey, I'd love to him, you know. What do you think about Lecrae? Yo, Lecrae, I find him an interesting figure. I, I don't, I don't follow him like really closely right now. I had the opportunity to go and hang out with his crew at the time when, when was this 2010 11 12 i don't know so he's like it really was, he's already on the come up at this point he's on the come up but like they're they're like super christian at this time this is like the click i forget what the name of the group was it was like the something he had a crew and so and they were in memphis and i like what they did like they did like this intentional community like they were living a lot of the artists were living in memphis and they were like it intricate part of the community and they do like events at like the, the community center and they were like actually like developing like positive relationships with people like in that community so I th a lot of the work they were doing I thought was really really cool and so I went there and I spent I don't know one or two nights just kind of hanging out and I remember having a talk with and I think Lecrae was there in the studio like the first night and he was just talking and but then like maybe the second night I forget what the guy's name was. He wasn't a rapper. He was like one of the, like the managers or like the guy that like ran the label or whatever. And I just remember it was like that scene in Los Angeles I was telling you about where I was like, I just don't care. And I remember him like just kind of like drilling things, like trying to convince me of things like doctrine and dogma stuff. And I was just like, I, I don't care about this, you know, the like, 116 I, click. The 116 click. Cause my, my mentor oh, was thank like, you, yo, Joe. Yeah. Thank you, Joe. November. Uh, my mentor was like, yo, I got, you can go down and hang out with them and, and maybe like you can, you know, get down with them. And I just remember leaving that weekend. It was like, I don't like, they're fine. Like no disrespect to them. But I was like, I, that's not me. I don't want to be in a, a place where it's like super, super Christian, super, super, like I, it just felt dogmatic, you know? And I'm just, I'm not, I am not a dogmatic person. Like really at all you know especially when it comes to things like god and spirituality it's like i feel like those things are so personal and so like how can you define those things for everyone like this this is who god is and this is how you have to experience it like that just seems absurd to me and like i just kept experiencing that over and over again it's like 
that's this is just not me you know so i had to to just walk out of that no i appreciate that which sounds a lot like what people talk about the modern pop scene and (laughs) feelings towards the rapid nature of a lot of it and as it is a kind of a dogmatic religion, whichever version yeah. of it. And people act like some of these indie underground types are not just a dogmatic pop group. Like, I'm saying that you're like Action Bronson, Ritz Tears, and things like that. Mm. Yo, it's, it, yo, it's, it, to me, it doesn't matter who your distribution is with it. At a certain point, some of y'all is just pop. Like, however much you want to spin that. Like, I'm not, it's not a hate on it. It's not dissing it. Yeah. It's just some of these indie guys. Be wildly not indie in how they move and operate, and the dogmas <laughs> right. that they follow is what I'm saying. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. And yeah, I mean, if it's good music, it's good music. So facts. And and in that world, like you know, like I re- I'm I'm very and I work in like interfaith spaces too. So I'm like re- very fascinated with like religion and how people view God and, and those conversations. I, I find it fascinating. It's just I, I really wish that like and you know I don't. I can't tell people how to be, but like when, when people have like a very uh, intimate relationship with their God and like, it's very serious and it's very meaningful to them. Great. Like, that's a wonderful, great. That doesn't mean I have to have that or you have to convince everyone else that they have to have that, you know, like just share your experience, share, share what you're going through, what you're feeling, what you think, like just share it, you know, and let us have a conversation about it and learn from each other. But so often it was just like this preconceived notion of like what I have and what I know to be true is what you need to have and what you need to be true, what needs to be true for you. And that mm. always just rubbed me the wrong way. I've definitely encountered that. Honestly, Christian Facebook be like that. Christian Facebook's <laughs> wild. Yeah, I don't, I don't really dabble too much though. I mean, what happens is if somebody in my life shares something as a joke, so you click back to the source and you land in the middle of some Bible Belt shit. And you're oh, like, oh yeah, this yeah. is weird. This is a whole different yeah. world of, of, I don't want to use the word hate, but it feels like there's a lot yeah. of accidental, like they don't know it because they're on some, like, this is what they know. But man, it feels wildly like what Facebook, it feels like a lot of, Christian Facebook feel was a prediction of what Facebook would become in the modern world uh, of its polarization. Yeah. Cause like I've, I've watched a lot of these church debates. Like my dad loved to debate weird shit with Christians to a point where he would yeah. get kicked out of church and stuff. <laughs> Cause you know, if you yeah. don't think that happens, that happens. My dad yeah, was oh, the yeah. black sheep. We got kicked out of church. <laughs> yeah. What kind of church was it? Do you remember? So we started with close brethren where, cause of some shit my dad did when he was 16, we used to have to sit in the back, even when I was born and shit. And we, my dad sit in the back row and shit. It was wild. They had members. It was the weirdest shit. And they made you sit in the back or you just wanted to sit in the back? No, no, no. My family, we had to sit. My dad was punished. So we sat in the back. (laughs) Your dad was punished. And Dead punishment ass. was sitting in the back of the church. Yeah, no, I thought this was normal shit. So I'm like absurd. a kid, kid, right? And then yeah, you grow you up and you're like, this is some fucking weird shit. You That's couldn't wear wedding rings. There was no music. It was all acapella, wow. dreary death march hymns. Like I don't know if you know the death march ones where it's yeah, like it's my, it's my favorite just stuff, voices. Yeah. <laughs> it's just no, like the know. saddest <laughs> fucking music, bro. Like a bunch of old people singing acapella at the slowest tempo. Didn't make huh. sense. It was awful. 
<laughs> that's what i remember was the awful yeah. hymns not that the hymns are bad because you can repurpose them into alternative yeah. rock i found out at later churches but like yeah then it was uh more other brethren's that were less closed brethren and more mm. open brethren which i found out means we don't like closed brethren uh strictness so instead um we just make up our own rules at every church and you either have a preacher or you have a board of elders of some kind there's usually a lot of bureaucracy and structure to it like i i kind of like i don't know i was young for a lot of it by the time i'm an yeah. adult i'm up but like i watched how like you know the tithing would pay into systems and shit but the thing is i benefited a lot as a young person from sure. this whole exchange Cause I got, we did cool shit like mountain yeah. climbing and a bunch of shit as a teen. Right. But like then there was the one church where like they hired the pastor dude. That's some wild shit. Pastors be making hella cash in a society where everybody's poor in their yeah. congregation. Yeah, that's wild. And like I'm just saying, we should, yo, this guy made bank and we did not make bank and we were paying man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like there was some weird shit like that. And no, no disrespect to any of the people, right? Everyone. Yeah. That's the thing is, to me, church felt like pick your rule set because I've seen Anglican, I've seen Catholic, I've yeah. seen every. De there's a denomination now. There's all the oh, we don't really care about the formality denomination denominations. <laughs> and then there's even churches that aren't even about God no more. It's just the yeah. the, the spiritualness of church, but all right. the God is gone. So like at a certain point, it was weird. But when I was younger, it was a lot of that brethren shit. And yeah. a lot of, which was a lot of so-so, because it's almost like politics right. a lot because yeah. you have yeah, like yeah. the boards and shit. And right. so that's yep. what I remember about church was a lot of politics. Yeah. Do have you found like you know in your own your own exploring of the world have you found like a, a a set of values or principles or like some sort of guiding like you know I don't know I don't know about all this other stuff but I certainly believe this to be true and like this helps me helps guide me on this yeah. earth absolutely yeah. I mean it's a it's a mixed mash of a bunch of shit I mm. believe personally that God has a sense of humor because if we're made in his image and I have a sense of humor then the man has to or whatever has to have a sense of humor right sure so if I'm in charge I would play a sick ass joke on humanity I would say <laughs> there's a million ways to find me and they're all exclusively true and I'm God and I'm omnipresent so I can do that <laughs> and that's how the world plays out because yo yeah. a lot of the religions synergize and i don't know i think calvinists are the ones that pick in predeterminists or whatever oh, right. I, don't yeah. Yeah. I don't know about that stuff but like to me it feels like there's a lot of ways to find your way and have yeah. your own personal set of ethics and if sure. christianity is fundamentally personal relationships then there is no objectivity to the interpretation mm -hmm. it's completely subjective right. so you have to go in the world and create your own ethics or that's not even what, that's what the book says. At least right, it's a personal yeah. relationship. Nobody else can define that for you. Right. And you talk to God. And so with that, you know, I'm also Jewish. So at a certain point I just I explored that a bit and yeah, yeah. that shit's ritualism though. Yeah. It's interesting, so, but ritualism is insane. So your, your mother was Jewish. Yeah. Okay. I got to do yeah. a birthright and shit and go see yeah, the Holy yeah. Land and like pop into oh, the cool. temple. I got to yeah. mosh with a bunch of Hasidic Jews at the Wailing Wall. <laughs> oh, lit. wow. I bet that was an experience. 
It was wild. You don't expect yeah. a mosh pit. You, when they say praise God and the like, the way they describe it, they don't. They didn't tell you it was a mosh pit. <laughs> <laughs> that is wild, man. I never heard that. That's crazy. <clears throat> I had a great time in Israel. It was yeah, a really that's country. awesome. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's I great. yeah. I I found that you know loving, trying to love other people and care care about other people, and then also trying to open myself up to allowing other people to love and care me. Those have kind of been my guiding principles, uh, you know, for many years now. And it's been great. Should, it's been trying to add value where I go. Add value. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. I mean, I like the love thing too. I try to love everybody. I'm not always yeah. great at loving everybody. Yeah, I, mean, I try yeah. to love everybody. It's, no, I try to at sure. least give everybody a chance. Yeah. <laughs> that's mean, good. Like, that's good. Yeah. You no, know, but like, for me, it's about like having purpose, you know, like that's just finding yeah. value. So what does that even mean? I don't know. I try to, even this to me, like there's a purpose to it. We can sure. learn from MC Till's experiences. I did not expect to be going down Christian rap rabbit <laughs> holes and shit, but that's the thing. It's the first time this has happened. Your episode 160. So yeah. Like, right so on. like, like. It's just that's we're all better for it. Anybody that's gonna watch this gets to hear all this. So to me, it's like a value to the world. Like it's like a service. So in a sense, the live in service thing I think is one of the most interesting parts of Christianity. Because as an artist, yeah. your entire life is to be in service. Right. If you really think about it. So yeah, evangelical yeah. Christians, honestly, there's a lot that that rappers could learn from them. Yeah. <laughs> if you're trying to yeah, actually yeah, get your really. shit out there. Right. But like yeah. the live in service thing, I like a fun of like you watch at church, right? You do the charity runs, the drives mm -hmm. to other countries that may or may not want you, the <laughs> whole bunch of other stuff that happens. But end of the day, it was always this effort to self sacrifice for the greater good. And that right. shit really stuck with me. Yeah. And yeah, like, yeah. But like to me, I'm trying to do it real reels, not like yeah, full. Yeah. But, but you know what's crazy? Right, sure. The second you start doing it for real, bureaucracy shows up in your life, and now you're the motherfucker adding the rules. And you're like, there's there you an irony to this shit. Yeah, and I don't like it. Not. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, life's funny like that sometimes, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Nah, that's it. Yeah, definitely have a whole experience with the church, but I definitely, I'm, I didn't realize how much you can make money being a Christian rapper, but yeah. I don't think I would well, I mean, a good Christian. We didn't make a lot of money, but, you know, we were not losing money on those tours, so. Bro, that's a win. That's that a is, huge oh, ass win. Ain't nobody not losing money on tours like that. <laughs> yeah, mean, man, we had, we had incredible experiences. We were able to, like, go to both coasts, swim in the ocean, see all these great sights. And when we got home, we got a little bit of money extra left over. That's wild. So. And then, so you have kids, and you pull out of all of the touring, and then all yeah. of a sudden, you get smacked with responsibility. Yep. So, and yeah, so this next phase. And this was actually kind of hard to swallow, because I love performing, and I love traveling. Like, two of my favorite things to do in the world. And I basically was at a crossroads where I could I could could have kept doing it, but I probably would have been divorced, you know, in a few years after that. And mm. I just felt like, you know what, this is not the right thing. I need to I need to step back and be at home. And that was hard because like it was a part of me. I felt like a part I had a sacrifice. Well, I did. Like I had to sacrifice a part of me, you know, in that decision. And 
at some point a year in, two years in, um, after making that decision, I realized that the other thing that I, I love, you know, creatively speaking, another creative outlet for me is making beats. Like that has always been a consistent thing. I've always made beats no matter what from a very young age with that, you know, banged up drum set. Right. And so I, I stumbled upon Patreon and I thought, all right, I'm going to make beats and then people can pay me. Like if they want me to make a beat, they can like pay a dollar for it. It was just a dumb, absurd idea, but it got the ball rolling. Bro, that is the best so idea you've ever had. Hot. Oh my gosh. That's but it a didn't great work. Idea. Like nobody was nobody wanted to pay a beat, pay me to make a beat. So anyway, but it got the ball rolling. Because I came up with that idea and I realized like this idea is terrible. Nobody wants it. And then that idea trickled into something else and it trickled into something else to where that we are now. That's a good idea. Yeah. See? Exactly. There you go. There you go. So what it kind of trickled into was something called everybody's hip hop label. And essentially what it is, it's, you know, it's kind of like a, a label. I mean, we, we put out music. We don't put out a lot of music, um, but we're, we're going to. Um, but the idea is just like everyone's included. Everybody's invited into the conversation. And so we do a lot like you. See, I'm sure you see it. You see a lot of posts online, social media, asking questions, inviting people in, you know, to the conversation. Our Patre- Patreon members. <clears throat> They're able to like give ideas and like send us like sample ideas and stuff like that. And then the, the, it's like the creative juices just got flowing. And so I, I thought to myself, I miss the days of like double XL or the source magazine where you could open it up and go to the back and find out when the new albums were coming out, like the new release dates for new albums. And then that, you kind of transitioned into like online, you know, sites like hip hop site.com and hip hop blog site or whatever, all these different sites, hip hop DX. And you could go there and you could find out like they'd have that one link, like new releases or release dates or whatever. And like, and then that kind of faded out. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to like assemble all these dates of when these new albums are going to come out. And I'll be, I'll be like the source for like really new release dates. And that was a good idea in theory, but I just couldn't get it. Like I couldn't, it, it, just, it wasn't practical. But what I realized was I could just start accumulating a list of albums that were coming out every month. And I could just email people that sign up to the newsletter. I could email those folks, the, the list of boom bap hip hop albums that are coming out every month. So then after like three or four months, I was like, oh, I got a pretty decent list here. I bet at the end of the year, I could write like an annual book, or like a top 100 albums boom bap hip hop albums of the year and it'd be like almost like a pamphlet type of thing and then that snowballed into what we do every year now with these books as we write these annual books where we write reviews and retrospective pieces and you know the hundred albums from that year that we think are good and so then that snowballed into another book we wrote about the native tongues review and so it's just i don't know it's just a beautiful thing where you i i felt like i was sacrificing a big piece of me and then that sacrifice not only was good for my family, but was also good for like my creative outlet because it morphed into, you know, what I'm working on now with all those guys like Profound that, that checked in earlier. He's part of the crew that, you know, does it. And Iomas Marad and Joe November. Got a shout out uh, Big Stowe, Michael Stover and our buddy Bo Brown. So there's six of us 
that kind of make up the team and we're having a ball like writing these books doing the podcast that we do and just having a really good time doing it together so ismail asked how are you actually able to rank 100 albums because like i seen <laughs> i seen your book and you really did have a hundred of them i think i saw the 2020 and the 2021 versions of them yeah yeah so his question was how do i rank them yeah, like how do you get to that order? Because you you do have it in order. At we least do generally. Yeah, and it was actually a mistake. Like I don't remember, I don't remember how the mistake happened. But like the original thinking was like I would, I would rank like the top. Maybe it was the top fifty, or maybe even thirty. But I was like, I'm not going to rank a hundred. I'm just going to rank you know the top whatever, and then. Somehow, I don't think that got translated to Bo. Bo Brown is our uh, a good, really good friend of mine. He does like all the formatting for like Amazon when we submit the book. But he ranked them. He put them. He put numbers by all of them. And I was like, oh, okay. I guess we are going to rank them. <laughs> and so that was kind of the first year. Like I didn't really have them ranked after a certain number. They were just like these are all dope. Um, but in subsequent years. I just decided like, I'm just going to rank them. I mean, it, it's somewhat arbitrary because like some of the albums are like really good and like, you know, music changes over time as you experience an album, it gets better. So what I do is I just, I listen to a lot because I love it. I love the music. I'll listen to it. I'll just start ranking them as I'm hearing it. Like, all right, this one might, might make the top 100, but it'll be down low. This one's super dope. This one's going up here. And then just like every month as I'm listening, I'll be like, nah, I think this album's a little bit better. And I just kind of like, that's basically the process of the hundred. So it's not like, you know, it's not a perfect science, but the idea is if you like, you know, my taste in boom bap hip hop, you, you're probably not going to have the exact same hundred, obviously, but you're probably going to like the majority of the albums on there. You know, that's kind of the idea. And it's a pretty extensive list. Like I, I, I don't really do album reviews no more because, I mean, yeah. I, I should maybe. I think I owe a couple for Patreon. But in general, like, you know, I did a lot, like 600 or 500. Oh, maybe wow. not that many, but it was like hundreds. Somewhere between four to 500 easily. Um, full album reviews, track by track breakdowns. So some of the ones you did, wow. I would be like, man, this dude wrote like three lines. And I did like a ninety minute video. <laughs> I motherfuckers is reading his shit. And I nobody clicked on my ninety minute video. <laughs> oh, that's funny, man. That's funny. But I mean the whole idea like for No, for they, me, they were they were it was just like it felt like reading like this little like teaser to yeah. each of them. Yeah, and for me like a big part of the book is like I want people I really want people to go and listen to the music, you know especially some of the under, more underground artists like, you know, Nas put out an album I think is really great. So it's going to be in there, but you know, tab one put out an album that I thought was really great. And you may not have heard of tab one, but hopefully by writing a review of his album, it'll pique someone's interest and they'll like go and listen to tab one's album and, and appreciate it and buy it and start supporting tab one. So that's a big, for me, that's a big, uh, you know, point of the book is to bring exposure to artists that, you know, may not get, as much exposure as we think they should, you know? Mm. No, I appreciate that. You come across some crazy talented people. That's the one thing that really drove me nuts about the old head mentality is um, I found some seriously innovative artists out there, especially if you leave Boom Bap. You can find some really Mm. experimental shit that is just 
nah, that doesn't sound like anything in history before as far as hip-hop is concerned. <laughs> and then people right. act like there's no originality. And I'm like, you never heard yeah. of Lil Darky or any of these other ones that are out there. Why? Because he has a Lil in his name, so they were right, just right, ignored right. it or something. Dude's dropping stuff that's like this explosive fusion of punk and all these other genres mixed together yeah. while he scream raps. And it's like, it's really <laughs> lit. It's a vibe. You might not love it, but it's still original. It, yeah. it, it hits the authenticity and all this other stuff. But, like, um, yeah, no, so, like, you start to look into it. And then the other thing is how many of, like, the OGs are still dropping that are on your list when you really go into digging and you're like, wait a second, y'all are, like, playing his 94 album, but you're not buying his new album. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that kind of stuff yeah. happens a lot, too. So seeing your shit was, like, really interesting because it was, yeah. like, a hard culmination of here's a hundred albums that existed this year. Stop talking about how this is dead. Right. It's all new. That was the biggest statement I got from your book. Man, man I'm, gl I'm glad you got that statement, man. And I, I, I just, I don't like complaining either. Like I like, you know, having, like I was saying, like I couldn't find these release dates. And so instead of like saying, ah, nobody's like checking for music anymore. Like, nah, I'm gonna do something about it, you know? And just having that mentality of like, let's let's just make things let's stop complaining. Let's make things happen. Like there is dope music coming out. And if you don't think so or you can't find it, I got a book for you. Like I'm gonna make it really easy for you to find this music, you know. And you know, the other thing about music is like it's such a you know, it kind of goes back to religion. Like it's such a spiritual thing. And it like what you like, you know, like if you like the little uh what was it little darky little darky yeah if if you like that great wild like, character if you like nothing but like mid-90s boom bap hip-hop it's fine it's whatever like but just don't hate on other people or just trash stuff just because you don't like it or whatever you know that, that just seems yeah not i mean i don't i don't fully understand it but then again it's one of them generational things right because yeah. i remember when they did it to my yo you can find articles from the 90s where like the guitarist from slayers talking about <laughs> limb biscuit with like the same attitude uh -huh. you run it back to the 60s yep. the same shit i'm sure the big band people were mad at them three-piece acts <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm sure i'm sure but i do i do think a good critique is always welcome though you mm. know i think cr critiquing artists or their lyrics or a culture or a movement or whatever to make it better i think that's all i, I think that's good and healthy you know good serious yeah. intellectual critique but just hating on it because it's different or you don't like it it's like that seems kind of shallow no i appreciate that you know? too i think that at least if you're going to critique it too or the one thing i learned is i have to tell people what my preferences are if i'm gonna be out there talking about it because you might not like my taste upon which right. don't trust my opinion but if you fucks with my taste I yeah hate. right and not, not everyone likes what you like but um so true. the only problem i have is when like sometimes people mix cultures up with things they don't understand like yeah. you might not understand where freddie gibbs comes from Right. Maybe you shouldn't yeah. criticize the buyers in his life. I mean, that guy's getting into real fights in his real life these days, if you follow the news at all. Yeah. Pretty sure there's some legitimacy there. So you'll have a lot of people acting like some people on a pretension where they might come from a background, more like the environment you did where everybody's nice. 
and right. rapping with buddies and then they see some more crime oriented stuff or some other things and then it becomes a judgment of mm -hmm. systems especially in canada you gotta understand like canada's like literacy rate is insane like almost everybody mm -hmm. can read here yeah so like they don't understand how like in america that might not be true or right. the way culture can be so drastically different from state to state to state in terms of yeah. access to information, education, and all that other right. stuff. So you might have people in Memphis spitting what they spit and on some oral lessons for the hood, but right. that don't make nothing to you if you ain't from there because right. you don't yeah. need that shit. And motherfuckers ain't be reading at the same level, so they can't just go and read the books or they might not have right. access to YouTube or the yeah. internet, which might sound preposterous, but like, yeah, yeah, no, it's true. The, the internet it, isn't widespread like you might think everywhere, everywhere. Right. And I think a good, a good reasonable critique always includes not, not just the thing you're critiquing, but like the, the context of the thing you're critiquing, mm. you know? So if you want to critique, you know, 3-6 Mafia, you got to cr critique Memphis and you have to critique, you know, the government of this country. And you have to critique, you know, you have to like, you have to like broaden it out and, and put it into context, you know, which a lot of the critiques that were coming out like early on in the 90s where people were just like getting CDs and like steamrolling over them and like burning them. Like those were not good critiques, you know, or those were very shallow critiques. The in, ones in my, that are like Eminem is good and everything is not yeah, that's bad. bad. Right. <laughs> Yeah. There's yeah, a lot of that on YouTube. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Um, so <laughs> your books get taught at a collegiate level? Yeah, man. Isn't that crazy? That That's is nuts. Crazy. Yeah, and we got invited. Um, shout out to Professor Dunn, Stephen Dunn. Um, he was the one he didn't I don't even, I don't even know if he reached out. Like he made a comment on one of our posts about teaching it and i was like what word <laughs> and so we followed up with him and he actually had us come um it was a online course this particular one and uh he actually had us come to one of the set it was like on i think it was on zoom or one of the similar programs like that and, and share with the class about our you know our process and yeah that was really really cool that he had us come to his college class and was teaching our book in the class. That was kind of a surreal moment. That is wild. I mean, yeah. I really like your essay parts, the like oh, the longer you. form parts. To me, yeah, that was super interesting. I don't know if you have more of those. I know you do your reels, yeah. and you do your like little album in the cars and whatnot. So I know yeah, you yeah. got your content <laughs> out there. But right. like those like essay things, I think were really cool. Um, I feel like the, everybody who wrote for them, so it wasn't just like yours per se, but it was right. an interesting way to like see how y'all thought about um, just music and gave yeah. more like weight to the actual order of it, even if the essay had nothing to do with anything in that year. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was, I don't think we had that in the first volume, but we started that in the second volume. And yeah, I really like those pieces because it allows us to, you know, write on anything we want, you know, and it's not, we're not like, you know, like you said, we're not like in, in, in bondage to the year and having more people on the writing team now is really, really dope. Like when we started, it was primarily uh, Michael Stover and I, and Bo Brown, I think did a couple, I think he did one or two for the first book. And then, but since then we, 
we've expanded and Iomas Marad has done a lot. Like he did a lot of writing for our last book, the native tongues review, which right. was like our annual books, but just, you know, dealing with native tongues, albums and groups and having him and, and Joe, Joe November has written some now and profound has written some now just expanding, you know, the, the voices in the book. Um, I think it's been really, I, I think it's made the books better. Hopefully the readers uh, have, will agree with me, but uh, it's, it's definitely been more fun writing it, you know, with the team, with a, you know, larger team. So. Right. And uh, Ismail wants to know, are there going to be any new sections in the volume four? Yeah. There, wait, who, who was asking? I'm just. Ismail Gadamsi. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh Yes. And I'm waiting on some artists to uh, get their their uh, pieces in, but we are going to have. Um, I'm working on this. I'm working on a piece that's like liner notes. Um, mm. So it's like artists writing liner notes for for their album that they released that year. Um, like you know, like they used to have. Like you tear open the the CD or the record or whatever, and there's liner notes. Like you know, someone's talking about the music. So um, I'm working on that. Uh, for a, a new piece in the book. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. So, so you basically this whole, like, you started the label with the beats via Patreon, and you're producing music now. You've got the books going on now. You're doing a lot of little social media things, too, to, you know, build it all up. So what's, like, next in your horizons? Yeah. Uh, next will be more music. So I will get back into, you know, uh, rhyming at some point um but i'm doing a lot of production joe right. november who chimed in earlier uh he does a lot of beats profound he also does beats iomas Marad does beats uh bo brown does beats so like our whole crew pretty much makes beats and pretty much the entire crew rhymes too i don't think joe does but so we within the crew we're gonna put out more albums uh solo albums group albums albums where it's just like two of us maybe tag teaming whatever so we're gonna we're gonna put out a lot more music uh moving ahead so uh the book definitely is gonna stay stay a centerpiece uh of what we do we have um a podcasting show that we do uh, called the boom bap chat we're gonna continue to do that um and then we're also exploring how many books we do every year so last this this year we're actually putting out two books we already put out the native tongues review and then volume four comes out in November. And we're trying to think if like, is that a good rhythm for us? Can we do two books a year and make them good? Or do we, you know, just do, you know, two books every, you know, every, every other year. And, but the other book, like we're going to do the annual books, but then the other book that we do like midway through the year is going to be like the native tongues review where similar setup, but instead of just reviewing a bunch of albums from one year, we're going to review a bunch of albums from one crew. So we're thinking about like hieroglyphics and like the bootcamp click DITC, you know, groups like mm. that, where we can do a whole book about that, you know, particular crew. So, right. And definitely a native tongues, uh, collective or native tongues, collective volume two, uh, because a lot of people were like, yo, wh what happened to the beat nuts? The beat nuts is not in the, the book and brand Nubian's not in the book and all these like native tongue, you know, groups that were not like maybe the primary groups, but they were there or down or whatever. So we definitely need to do a volume two of that book. So that's on the right. horizon too. Yeah. Mm. Would you ever consider streaming? 
Yeah. I mean, so in what context? Twitch. Yeah. Twitch our, has built-in Patreon. It's pretty late, actually. Yeah, I should probably get more into it. Like, we have a, a Twitch, you know, what do you call it? Stream? Page? <laughs> Whatever it's channel. called. I think it's called channel, a channel. Channel. We have a Twitch channel. And actually, our, our Boom Bap Chat um, program does go out live on Twitch. But oh, I haven't done a lot, to be honest with you, um, with Twitch yet. So I need to get more into it. Well, it's fun because you can do shit like make beats. Yeah. Live and monetize okay. your beat making process in theory because yeah. you can get tips for making beats. You okay. can do shit like, oh, subscribe to me and I'll flip your sample. And if people subscribe with Amazon Prime for free, you still get 250 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I might have to. Uh, yeah. I definitely, it's on my list it's, to explore. It's so. really just good for like, if you're already going to do these things, like I have a project where I'm trying to document all the English rappers in a city. Why was I just going to do that research offline? Screw that. Right. We'll do it online. Listen to the now, music together. Does it stay up? Or does it come like when you do, like so like for, what we're doing right now? This is gonna be up for sixty days on Twitch. You can set that number up to sixty, so I leave it at maximum. Then okay. you archive it on YouTube or oh. wherever else. Right. So it's gonna end up on YouTube after. But then I'm also gonna rip the audio and put it on Podbeam, is what I use. So that goes okay. to whatever podcast network. So this right. will end up on Spotify, right? At right. some point, a week later or whatever. Usually, right. it's about that's a dope. Week. Yeah, it's weak because I'm lazy, not because it actually <laughs> takes that long. But it's right, like right. when I go through the whole thing, yeah. set up a cycle, make sure you can cover your, you know, something. Don't I? I gave up on committing to weekend things now. Cause, you no, know, I feel you. I feel you. Know when I you're feel gonna you. be in the middle of nowhere in Quebec. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But yeah, no. Um, I really appreciate this conversation with you, MC. Till you're a super interesting guy, but yeah, really man. what. I wanted to talk to you because, like, you know, looking into you back when Ismail brought you up, um, you just have a lot of cool community initiatives that are really focused on, like, building up more culture and empowering other people based on history and an understanding of stuff. And I really yeah. appreciate that because in this world, not everyone is as focused to kind of having that respect towards what they do, so... Yeah, I think up, it man. shines through in your beats. I think it shines through in the passion you bring to it. And man, you really love it, and it shows. You <laughs> Thanks. love these albums. Yeah, man. Well, thank you, man. Thank you for that. Yeah, just thanks for sharing all that with us and uh, giving us your time and all that. It's really cool of you. I don't know if you have any like closing remarks or anything. <laughs> oh no, just I mean, thank you, and you know, obviously, shout out to the crew, Bo Brown, and. My man, Profound, Ayamas Marad, Joe November, uh, Big Stowe, yeah, the whole crew. And um, if y'all don't have the books, man, get them. Get them at boomdapreview.com. So. And then also follow the man at MC Till on Instagram. And then the yep. link's right there in the bio, which will bring you there because I know you yep. want to click on that Insta quicker. Oh, but yeah. do that. Um, and then for... Uh, before we go though I do want to give a big shout out to all the people watching us live still some of these people have been sticking with us the whole time the whole show which is yeah, dope for me that, that that's part dope. of Twitch too the fact that anybody would stick with you the whole time and Heck you get yeah. the literal validation of a chat of people coming through Heck and yeah. like just you know being part of the community like that and then you funnel them into a discord and hang out with them after if you're being smart yeah. I'm terrible at that shit <laughs> but like there's a whole like ecosystem to it right. that's built in 
Um, and the shout out to all y'all watching in the future on the YouTubes or Spotify's, whatever. Um, make sure you like, comment, subscribe, and all of that really, really good stuff that you're supposed to do in the world. Um, Heck yeah. But yeah, I appreciate all of you out there. Um, I don't really have anything else left to say. I'm going to start this little raid thing and live long and prosper, everyone. And now we wait as the countdown goes and we go take the audience into somebody else's channel and make it wonderful. Peace. All right.